Would you turn with me in God's Word this morning to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, our Scripture reading will begin at verse 25, but our Scripture lesson this morning will be from verses 33 through 36 of Romans chapter 11. We want to read this under the heading of doctrine that leads to doxology. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God. Romans 11, beginning in verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be My covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the Gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards the election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they, may also, they also may now receive mercy. For God has co-signed all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. And here is our Scripture meditation this morning. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, beloved congregation, R.C. Sproul says all sound theology begins and ends with doxology. The word doxology comes from two Greek words, doxa meaning glory, logos meaning word or to speak, and you slam them together. Doxology. It means to speak or to give expression to God's glory. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him all ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It is the praise, the speaking forth of the praise of God. And this is what we see in Romans 11. Here, the Apostle Paul erupts in glory. He can't contain himself any longer. He must rejoice. He must sing. He must worship this glorious God. And so we call this short section Romans 33 through or Romans 11 verse 33 through 36 we call it the Romans doxology. But how do you get to doxology? How do you get to that point where you must worship God? 
How do you get to the point where your heart is so thrilled with God that you must come to church or you must fall on your knees in, in your home, your office, or wherever you might be and worship Him? How does one, how is one led to doxology? And you notice with Paul, he is led to doxology when he considers the Gospel. When he considers everything Jesus has done for him, it's as if he has to fall on his knees. He has to drop the pen and to lift up his hands. And maybe it's just me, but I imagine there's tears in the Apostle's eyes as he writes, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. It's the Gospel that leads Him to glory. It's the Gospel that leads Him to stop He can't go on any longer. And to worship God. You see, I don't think it's without reason that this doxology is included at the end of Romans chapter 11. You may remember that the book of Romans is famously broken up into three sections. There's an introduction from verses 1 through chapter 1, verse 17. But then Paul begins to address man's guilt. In chapter 1, verse 18. And he does that all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. But then at chapter 3, verse 21, he begins to address God's grace. All the way through the end of Romans 11. And then Romans 11, through the rest of the book, or Romans 12, through the rest of the book, he'll begin to address God's, our gratitude to God for His grace. And so Paul's famous doxology comes after he has considered the grace of God to us in Christ. See, consider all that Paul has taught us in the section of grace. Remember the grace of justification. Chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 5. How God hates so, sin so much He would provide His own Son to take away sin and its penalty so we could be in His presence. Remember the mercy of God's sanctification. Chapter 6-8. through eight, How God not only releases sinners from the penalty of sin, but He also frees them from the power of sin by giving us His Spirit. Remember the gift of assurance Paul talked about in Romans 8. How He gives us the Holy Spirit as surely as we believe. We are guaranteed eternal life. Remember the mystery of election. How God out of a fallen lump of clay Mold some from in eternity past to be His elect people. To give them mercy so that He might have them forever. And God, Paul says, did all of that for me. He did all of that for you. And so there can only be one response. For from Him, through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen.
What an important lesson for the church today. Especially for us. A people who love their doctrine. A people who love their catechism. This is an important lesson. Theology, the study of God, doctrine, this putting it into practice, must always lead us to doxology. Paul doesn't just want you to have right doctrine. He doesn't just want you to know the truth, but that this right doctrine should lead us to the wonder, love, and praise of God in Christ. Paul's will for you and for me in Romans is not just that you would know, but that it would get into your heart and that you would fall on your knees with Paul and you would worship God. That's our theme for our time together. The gospel of grace should fill God's people with praise. I want to show you this in three things. Praise God for the depths of His mercy. Praise God for the wisdom of His cross. And praise God's sovereign glory. Notice, we should first praise God for the depths of His mercy. You know, we could say that the Apostle Paul has been laboring throughout the book of Romans to establish that salvation is from God. Could we say that? Romans is about the fact that salvation is from God. It's not manly. It's not earthly. But it is divine and heavenly. And the source of salvation is not in you. It's not in our goodness. The source of salvation is from Christ. And this can be seen in the kind of salvation that God gives to you and to me. The kind of salvation. You see, if it were up to us to give mercy to our enemies, to our shame, we may not give mercy at all. We are a people who are slow to forgive. But Paul, look at what he says. The salvation we have been given is deep and it is rich. There's a fullness to it. There's a grandeur to it. A greatness to the salvation we have been given. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of knowledge of, knowledge of God. And I find it interesting that sometimes when we talk about salvation we use the term depths. Because more often than not, we typically refer to salvation as the heights. Think of what we just considered through this Advent season. Glory to God in the highest, the angels sang. We talk about the heights of salvation because heaven is up there and that's where we want to go. But here Paul describes salvation as the depths. And I actually think depths is even grander. Because to consider the depths of something, you need to be at the top. And so God has brought Paul to the top of salvation. He's brought him to the highest point. That God is for you in Christ. He has loved you so much. He's justified you. He's sanctifying you. He's assured you. He's given you all of these things. And Paul at the top of salvation is looking down at the depths. 
And he says it's unfathomable. The depths are unfathomable. Maybe some of you have had the good fortune of going on a cruise and you go out into the middle of the water and you've looked down to the depths. And what do you see? You can't see the bottom. Or a fishing boat goes out there, and I heard this analogy, they have to send out a depth finder which bounces off the bottom of the floor so that they can find the fish. Some of you fishermen might know what I'm talking about. But Paul sends out his depth finder, so to speak. Where is the bottom of God's mercy? Where, how much does He care t- for me? How deep is His grace? And it keeps going and going and going. The depth of salvation is that it's unfathomable. It's a bottomless salvation. A bottomless mercy. A bottomless grace. And so God is also referred to as rich. This week I found out that Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, is estimated to be worth $260 billion. Can you even wrap your mind around how much money that is. But boys and girls, the Bible says that God is worth so much more than $260 billion for Him. That's just a drop in the bucket. The Bible says the whole world belongs to God. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. The storehouses of heaven are full. And God's greatest investment, the most valuable thing He has, worth trillions and trillions of dollars, the canons of Dort even say that He is worth the whole world, is Jesus Christ. He is exhaustively rich. Inexhaustible in His richness. Elsewhere, Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. This is what leads Paul to praise. That the salvation that we have been given is bottomless. It is never to be exhausted. It can never run dry. It is unfathomably deep. And God is extremely rich. And so Christian, listener, whoever you might be, you ought to never think that you can exhaust God in His grace. You ought to never listen to the lies of Satan. That you have worn out His mercy. Look at the life of Jesus. How He ate with tax collectors. That's His mercy being inexhaustible. He touched the lepers. His purity was too great. And now He comes to you and says that there is no sin that can drain the ocean of My love for you. There is no offense that can empty the storehouse of heaven. This is the greatness of salvation. Your sins are many, but His mercy is more. Our trespasses are great. His love is greater. There is no one too far for the long arm of Christ not to redeem. And so Paul says, from Him, This is where salvation comes from. Jesus is the source. 
He is the one who gives us the salvation that is glorious and full and free. Don't look to popularity to save you. It might be able to save you from embarrassment or loneliness. Don't look to another God to save you. They can't deal with your sin or the sin of this world. Paul says, in Jesus, from Him, He can take away your guilt. He can grant you a free salvation. He can show you mercies upon mercies and give you the assurance of salvation. He is the source. He is the center. And He is deep and bottomless and rich in His mercy. We need to praise God for the depths of His mercy. But Paul doesn't end there. His praise only gets higher and higher, advancing towards verse 36. Praise God, he says, for the wisdom of the cross. God is not only deep in His mercy, but He's unsearchably deep in His wisdom. Oh, the depth of the riches, and notice this, and wisdom and knowledge of God. These are two attributes of God. His wisdom and His knowledge. Knowledge refers to understanding. God has the greatest understanding. He knows everything about this world. He's intimately acquainted with everything. And He knows every individual aspect about you and about your wife and your children. Your husband, I should say, as well. He knows everything about everyone. But then wisdom, that's a heightened form of knowledge. Wisdom is when you take the knowledge of everything you know and you put it into practice. You make the right decisions. You make the right choices. And so since God's knowledge is perfect, His wisdom is also perfect. He always does the right thing. God always makes the right choice. He is an exhaustive knowledge and therefore a perfect wisdom. We see this all throughout the Bible. Psalm 145, verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all of His works. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, The rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. A perfect wisdom. A perfect knowledge. And all of God's wisdom, and all of His knowledge, and all of His riches culminate in Christ. Wisdom doesn't just refer to the fact that God is smart. But wisdom is that God used all of these things to lead us to salvation. John Frame puts it this this way, wisdom is God's way of salvation. Listen to the way Paul talks about God's wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. 
See, the wisdom of God is the crucifixion of Christ. The Gospel is God's great wisdom. The Gospel, Paul says, is the wisdom of God. It's foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Ultimately, God then, God's wisdom is Jesus. And so in verse 36, when it says, for from Him and through Him, and to Him are all things. Brothers and sisters, Paul is elaborating on this here, saying salvation is through Jesus Christ. That God has orchestrated everything in Jesus' life to lead Him to the cross. In God's wisdom, He led Jesus to that place where He would lay His life down for His people. That is His wisdom. And we can make it personal. That God is orchestrating everything in your life to lead you to the cross as well. Do we not confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, for all things must work together for my salvation? In question one. Beloved, do you know what this means? God is in heaven right now executing His sovereign will. He is restraining evil. He is rebuking Satan. He is giving life, taking life, pouring out fresh graces. Not a single thing comes to pass in heaven or on earth apart from His watchful eye. And He does everything to lead you and to me to Calvary. Sovereignly over it all to lead you to Jesus that you would come through Him to Christ. And so the simple application here is are you coming to the Father through Christ? Or are we falling into the trap that so many people do that I will have union with God, I can have a utopia, I can be free of sin apart from Jesus, around Jesus, for through whatever means it might be. I mentioned it already this morning. You see, every religion falls into the trap that we must stack up enough goodness. We must accumulate enough good works in order to outweigh the bad. They think that is true religion, but I tell you today, that is not justice. It's not truth. Sin must be, dealt, must be truly dealt with. Every evil must be resolved. And there's not enough good we can do to outweigh our rebellion against God. And so Paul says salvation must be through Him. It must be through His cross. It must be through His wisdom, not mine. So much so Jesus said this, made it as clear as it can be. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And so, beloved, you know what this means, right? If God has done all things to orchestrate salvation, if in His wisdom He has done all things to lead you to Calvary so that He might save your soul, this means that He does all things well. And all God does, 
He is wise and knowledgeable. And no one can stand back and criticize Him. Verse 33, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. But sometimes we do think, if God is all wise and knowledgeable, why does He let this happen? If He is good, why is my life such a mess? And we think, God, You've really messed this up. This is how you can clean it up. You know who else thought like this? God's servant, Job. In fact, Paul quotes two Old Testament verses, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid. And those are two quotations from the book of Job. And you remember Job... He thought, hey, God has wronged me. I'd really like to talk to Him and I'd like to give Him a piece of my mind. And when God reveals Himself to Job, do you remember what Job does? He covers his mouth. And he doesn't rebuke God. He doesn't give Him a piece of His mind. Job falls on his knees and he worships God. Sometimes things can seem wrong to us. They can seem very bad. Life can be very bad. But Job and Paul are able to worship God because in light of his revelation, we know that what he is, we don't know always what he is doing, but we know that he does everything right. He never does anything wrong in your life. He never does anything wrong in this world. He never does anything wrong in His church. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. But we can worship the God who is greater than our minds and our works and who saves us through Christ. We worship Him for the depths of His mercy. We worship Him for the wisdom of His cross. And we worship Him to the praise of His sovereign glory. R.C. Sproul again, he asks this question. Why don't you answer it in your mind? Where is everything going? What is the goal of the universe? What is the ultimate purpose of history? To which he answers in a word, God. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. All of human history, everything in this universe, are marching forward to fulfill God's purposes in Him. And so Paul says, for from Him, He's the source. Through Him, He is the means. And to Him, are all things, and to Him be the glory forever. Amen. The praise of His sovereign glory. This is the height of Paul's doxology. That the God that Paul worships, that the God who has saved him in Christ, is both God all and all and my Savior. 
He is the source. He is the agent. But He is also the end for which all things exist. God all in all. And even everything in this world fits into His sovereign purposes. To Him are all things. This last year as we conclude 2023, there have been many evil things that have happened in the world in which we live. You think of the earthquakes in Turkey that took out so many people. Think of the wildfires in Canada, Hawaii. So many lives were lost. We think of the evil of war and bloodshed and all of these wicked things that have happened. We turn on the news and that's all we see. Paul says there's no tug of war between evil and good. Where sometimes evil is winning and other times good is winning. No, Paul says the end, the goal to which all creation is moving, is that God is all in all. And that He stands behind all things as Almighty God. And He orders all things for your good and His glory. And sometimes we wonder like Job, how can this be? But the real wonder is that God can take all of this evil and all these perverse things, and yet He still promises to save His church. He promises to accomplish His purposes. And He promises to glorify Himself. What a comfort! God does not desire wickedness. He does not want evil in His creation. But He can accomplish His good purposes even through Satan's schemes and our failures. Don't we see this in the story of Joseph? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What does all things mean? It means all things. He can take cancer. He can take death. He can take war. He can take famine. He can take crime. He can even take our sin and turn it around by His divine grace to lead us to the cross and to salvation with Him forever. And so Paul concludes, to Him be the glory forever. Glory comes from that Hebrew word kavod, which means a weightiness, a heaviness. It's referring to the fact that there is something of significance, of value. You've probably felt this in your own life. Maybe, maybe if you've held a baby for the first time and there's a, there's a weightiness to it. Ought not to drop it. Or somebody gives you a a wad of cash for a car you've just sold, or they give you a very important thing to hold and you feel like, I've got to protect this. It's kavod. There's a weightiness. Paul says the thing of most value, the thing that has the most splendor, the thing that has the most weight to it is God Himself. To Him be the glory forever. He will be glorified. 
in us and forever. Revelation 21 and 22, we're told that the holy city will need no light because the glory of God will be its light. The light of His glory will never be extinguished. The glory of God will continue forever and ever. And so what Paul does in Romans 11 is he joins in in praising God's glory. He falls on his knees. He lifts up his hand. And with heart and voice, he glorifies God for all he has done for him. I pray that's where you are as well. Glory in God now. And you will join the angels in glorifying him forever. There's a few applications here, brothers and sisters. There should be no teaching or study of the truth without worship. Boys and girls, when you are studying your catechism, or parents as you're attending the worship service, don't do it just so that you can receive and be full of truth, but that in truth you might see God and glorify Him forever. And God-centered truth should lead us to the greatest joy. There should be more joy in knowing and seeing and worshiping God than the Lions going to the playoffs. There should be more joy in knowing and seeing God than politics or good deals at the mall. You are a sinner saved by grace. And you're given the privilege of worshiping Him. And so this going into this new year, let us worship God for the depths of His mercy. Let us worship Him for the wisdom of His cross. Let us praise His sovereign glory, which we'll do forever and ever. And we have the privilege of doing even now today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, ye heavenly hosts. Doxology. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we give You thanks that we are sinners who are saved by grace. But Father, as we've been studying the book of Romans, we have seen the greatness, the grandeur of this grace. How it is such a depth. How it is so unsearchable. How it is so rich and yet so free. But Father, we thank You that You have, been priv- or that you have given us the privilege of gathering together to worship this God. We pray now, Lord, that You would be pleased to stir our hearts by the power of Your Spirit. Stir us to worship You. Stir us to love You. To adore You. For that is what we will do for all of eternity. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.